This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. And Anthony, since our last episode, we, we got a little bit of a dose of some, some frigid weather. We got some cold coming in. We made some ice. You and I had a chance to go out and share an afternoon, actually a whole day out on the ice uh, not too long ago, and that was an awful lot of fun. And I know you've hit the ice a few times since then as well. What, what did you see out there? Yeah, from the, the cold extreme, we go to the, the next extreme, right? We're, we're currently in the warm trend, and it, the forecast definitely looks to be continuing that trend for at least the next 7 to 10 days. So I'm not complaining about that from uh, enjoying the outdoors type person. Um, but I know from an ice perspective, we're definitely going to be starting to fall behind the curve when it comes to making ice, building ice, and and maintaining the, the safe ice that we have. I think it's pretty good in our area. There's a lot of, you know, areas where there's some people getting out with vehicles and a lot of people still erring on the side of caution using side-by-sides, four-wheelers, snowmobiles. But even at this point, we're starting to lose our snowpack. So snowmobiles are going to be tough to go unless we get some precipitation in the forecast. Otherwise, it'll probably be relegated back to using, you know, four-wheelers and side-by-sides for the foreseeable future. So we jumped a couple of weeks ago, Anthony, from what you called an extended early ice season I almost feels like we're jumping into just uh, skipping the middle of the winter and jumping into late ice right now. That's definitely what it feels like out there. I mean, it was almost 40 degrees on Saturday when I was out and had the jacket off, walking around in the bibs and the sweatshirt. It was uh, pretty enjoyable. Those are the days we look forward to, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And speaking of looking forward to, uh, we've been looking forward to our guest on this episode for quite some time as we laid out our plans for the season uh, early on last summer and fall. Uh, this was a, a gentleman that we had on that list early and often. And uh, we want to welcome Josh McFadden. Josh is an outdoor adventurer and wild food creator. That is how he describes himself. He is also a partner in Catch and Cook Coatings, which I know many of our listeners have not only heard of, but they are uh, users of the product as well. Josh, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for that warm intro. And uh, yeah, it's good to, be, good to be back on the show. For our listeners, you were on with us a couple of years ago, and um, that was a great episode. Still out there, folks want to go listen, but we're going to make some new tracks today and, and talk a little bit about what's going on right now. But just give us a little, tell us about yourself. Just give our listeners a little picture of who Josh McFadden is. All right. Well, I am an outdoor enthusiast and wild food creator. Whatever my bio says on Instagram is exactly who I am. Um, uh, with with a few things, I guess, to read between the lines there. Uh, yeah, I, I just kind of create content for myself and other brands, sort of do that for a living, and also co-own Catch and Cook Coatings with uh, Mr. Jay Siemens, who I think most listeners should be educated as to who that man is and uh just a great awesome partner you know we have lots of fun and yeah it kind of occupies a decent amount of my time i also do a lot of work with huntfish manitoba which i'm sure a lot of the listeners also are 
Lake Winnipeg and northern Manitoba enthusiasts. And if you haven't had the opportunity to roll north to Manitoba yet, you have to. Um, some amazing fisheries, as you guys both know. Lake Winnipeg is quite ridiculous right now in a, in a really good way. And we're seeing the same things that you guys are as far as weather is concerned. We have had some colder weather. We had a really cold snap that froze Lake Winnipeg quite solid. So we have, you know, a good three foot, three and a half feet of ice in spots. You can sort of take a truck anywhere as long as you're avoiding the dangerous, uh, treacherous ice ridges that we get. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, come up, come up and, uh, check it out. Manitoba is a pretty awesome place. And I've, I've kind of been a ambassador. I've born and raised here, um, ambassador of the province my whole life and, uh, have grown more into that role as I've gotten older because you sort of have to learn to love a place that is 10 million, you know, degrees below freezing for six months out of the year. And, uh, you know, cooler weather through spring, cooler weather through fall, but we have amazing summers as well. And Lake Winnipeg is just my favorite place on the planet. And it's home to a multitude of insane, massive species of fish that are catchable all throughout the year, not just in the winter months. And if you haven't been up in the summertime to angle the lake, highly recommend it as well. You know, Josh, you talk about Lake Winnipeg and just last week, one of uh, here in Fargo-Moorhead, our, our local walleye club had a meeting. We brought a speaker in, uh, someone a lot of folks know, Jason Mitchell, Jason Mitchell Outdoors. And yep. Jason mentioned Lake Winnipeg because he's been up there a number of times. And the phrase he used was, it's like tasting sugar for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, a great little uh, analogy. It's, I'm sure there's a million different things you could throw in there, but um it is. It's like the, the first time you've gone fishing all over again. At times, right? There are still hard days. Right. Uh, and you have to learn how to fish it because it is a bit of a wonky lake just based on the fact that down south, which is where most people fish, uh, that's where the largest concentration of ice anglers is. It's a flat, mucky basin with not a lot of structure. And it can be a tough bite. But if you're mobile, which it seems like most of the uh, American-based guests that we have up here, they're quite mobile, where folks up here, they want to take the truck and park, set up the tent, and stay in one spot. And that can really not work in your favor at times, but moving around is key. And, yeah, Jason does an amazing job of that. Like, he comes up with all of the gear, and he motors around trying to find those big fish. And, obviously, based on his program, he finds them. Yep, I just loved it. That's saying, like, because uh, it took me back to my first trip to Lake Winnipeg. It's like tasting sure. sugar for the first time. It is. It's different than fishing anywhere else in the world. It is. Yeah, it's special in a lot of different ways. And not only do the fish get giant, you'll catch a green back that is like a walleye you've never seen ever before in your life. Aside from now on social media, there's photographs of them everywhere. But the novelty doesn't wear off either. I was just out, um, you know, on the northern part of the South Basin this past weekend for three days, and I was hosted by Gull Harbor up there, and they have an amazing facility. It's right on the water, hospitality through the roof, and you've got just fantastic people with all, all of the equipment you could ever need if you wanted to just be served, or it's full DIY as well, place to stay, place to eat you can cook there and 
Um, yeah, like that, that part of the lake, it's very different. There's some really deep water up there too, which is interesting. I'm kind of a deep water guy. So I favor those, you know, trips where I get to fish in at least depths where my flasher works. And, uh, it's, it's a spectacular piece of water to fish. And I'll throw in this story too. Um, I was up there on a hunt fish Manitoba trip two weeks ago and just went back there with a chef friend who hails from, uh, the West coast. And he also spends half of the year in Costa Rica. He has a really cool place down there. So he was here for a national like food event. And I thought, man, we have to show you what this lake is all about. So we, we went up there and, uh, yeah, had a, had a blast. And where was I going with this? Um, anyhow, it, it just, I, I can't say enough about it. It's, it's like you're experiencing the lake again for the first time, um, fishing completely different water. There's a lot more, you know, sketchy areas out there because there's current where the South basin meets the North basin. Um, and Josh, really, we're talking about like kind of right around Hecla Island, right? Is that where Gull Harbor Island, is? At? Yeah, Gull Harbor is yep. on Hecla Island. Yeah. Okay. So it's one of the provincial parks. And oh, where I was going with this was when we went on a hunt fish Manitoba trip two weeks two weeks ago, we linked up with um, a commercial angler who I think he said their family has been fishing the lake for over a hundred years. Um, he's got a massive quota on walleyes and whitefish and a bunch of different species and just a spectacular human being. He's in his mid forties, has a family, a bunch of kids. They're half indigenous, half like Viking bloodline. So they're, there's a, there's a lot of like Icelandic folk in that area too. So as tough as they make them. Right. And he, uh, he invited us along to lift nets and be a part of the experience. And it's actually an experience now that you can book through Gull Harbor and if you wanted to go angle for a day or two and then go out early one morning and see what the whole commercial scene is all about, you may find a couple of cool fishing spots out of the deal too. Um, those guys know where the fish are and we saw some spectacular, beautiful fish of all varieties, right? Like catfish, drum, burbot, walleyes, saugers, whitefish, ciscos, everything. And, um, most of it's by, not most of it. Some of those, most of those species are bycatch. The majority of them are walleyes. And it's, uh, it's such a cool thing to see these water farmers out there doing their work. And they've, it's in their blood. They've been doing it forever. They, they live and breathe and smell, <laughs> smell like fish, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And these people are so passionate, even though they do this every single day, all through the winter, in the summer months. And it's neat to see that other side of the angling community that I had actually never had any sort of hands-on experience with. And it's something that I definitely intend on bringing my kids to experience. And I, I can't say enough about how important it is to, you know, get your eyes and, and ears on, on an experience like that, because it's, it's like nothing else. And, and again, it is definitely like tasting sugar for the first time. And, refueled my energy to just appreciate the lake even more than I do. What uh, I saw some of the photos that you posted, Josh, and my initial reaction was how cool to see the other side of the world when it comes to the angling community as as sport anglers, we see it through other sport anglers. I mean, all the time. Right. And and we see that perspective of it. And, And a lot of times we see the opinions that are all based on, on that one point of view, 
But to yep. see the other side, it's real and it's rich with tradition and history. It is, yeah. And there's there's enough to go around too. You know, to touch on your point a little bit, it's uh, we we humans are a little uh, egotistical and kind of crappy at times, and we see everything through our own shaded lenses. And it uh, it it's really important to understand the other side of every situation, obviously in life, if you want to be a wholesome human being. And this is one of those things, you know, like these people have way more knowledge of what's going on in that lake than the weekend warrior does. And if you are that weekend warrior and think for, you know, any amount of time that somebody's taking from your share, give your head a shake. It's, uh, it's incorrect. And um, even if it was the case, have a conversation, you know, Start the conversations, learn, learn and understand. And um, rather than being opinionated and hopping on line to voice your opinions, get out there and understand how, like specifically to Lake Winnipeg, how rich that resource is and how much more these people lean on it than the weekend angler does, right? We're doing it for fun. They're doing it for a livelihood. We're doing it for a living and they, they need that resource to be there more than you do, right? Um, so they're doing it for fun as well. And they, it's, it's amazing how they'll go out and angle traditionally themselves too, because they just love being on the water and they have a great time doing it. Right. But, um, you know, they, they also catch a lot of fish in nets and that's, that's work for them. That's their job. So they still obviously enjoy the pastime and, and the challenge of going out and catching something on a hook too, because it's just fishing's fishing, right? It's, it's fun all around. And I, I like your point there too, of, you know, learning from things, right? Like everybody's learned from the mistakes of, you know, yesteryear when maybe commercial fishing wasn't as monitored or, you know, regulated as it is now. And everybody's looking out for the resource now, the commercial fishermen and the sport fishermen. So I think that's really key as well. Yeah, that's right. And there may be opinions all over the place, right? With net size and all that stuff. There's, there's been a lot of those regulation changes on the lake over the years on the commercial side of things. And yeah, some people may have different opinions on it. Um, but at the end of the day, as any kind of angler, whether it's commercial or traditional, you're bound to whatever the rules state anyhow. And they're also learning and collecting data as they go. And the more you do it and the more you interact and the more you, you know, not voice your opinion in a rude way, but share your thoughts and findings and all of that, the, the better it is for everybody, right? So I have a um, just a, a question for you, and it's it's more towards the sport fishing side of it. Some regulations focused on conservation came into effect this past year. And those, those regulations state that you, you can't keep the larger walleyes when you're angling. Yeah. I have to think that's a great move. What, what's, yeah. what are you hearing from feedback from folks up there, the Canadians who are, are real close to the fishery are are they, is it divided? Is it, is it something that everybody's in support of? Um, I would say, not everybody's in support of any rule <laughs> uh, or regulation changes. People get so stuck in the past, right? Right. And I think the way it's viewed largely by people who have a conservative mind or, you know, or conservationists at heart, um, they understand because I don't need to keep a big fish, right? Um, myself, I think most of the people who were the anglers who were keeping the larger fish you could so to let everybody know and bring them up to pace at least if you don't 
we went from uh, no slot, really. Like, there was you, you couldn't keep anything under a certain size for a number of years. Um, sorry, not under, over. It was 21 and, like, 5 eighths of an inch. You had to throw back, but you could keep one over that size, and you could keep one over 28 inches, which is our master angler trophy size. You could keep one per season. So I think the folks largely who were keeping those were in part of the tourism thing, right? Like people who were coming from down near guy's neck of the woods. Yes. And you caught that trophy, and that was your one for the year and for the trip and for the season and a fish of a lifetime. So why not get this thing mounted? Um, we all know that traditional skin mounts aren't as popular as they were and the replicas now that some of these, you know, artists are creating are ridiculous and they look better than the skin mounts. So I say, take a lot of measurements, take some good pictures, throw that fish back and get a replica. And like, why, why would you need to take that fish? Right. Um, and on the other side of, you know, for, for, for eating, I don't know. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not keeping a large fish to eat it. Um, and when it comes down to the limits, the limits have changed a little bit over the last couple of years as well. And I feel like, again, a lot of the U S clients that are coming up or clients, anglers who are coming up, um, see, I'm too much in the tourism industry now, <laughs> uh, but yeah, when, when you guys are coming, it's not necessary. You're not looking to fill buckets with fish either, right? You're there for the sport of it. And yes. a lot of those fish, even if they are the eater size, they're, they're going back down the hole too. Um, but, you know, local folk, I mean, I do this all the, I, I fish all the time. I fish a few times a week. And when somebody tells me, oh, I only get to go out once a month or once a season or once a week or whatever it is, I want to keep fish. Well, you don't need four. And you don't need six, right? Like I can feed my family. I know, I mean, I have little girls in the house, but there's five of us. We can eat two or three fish. We can stretch that and make tacos or whatever it is. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm all for the conservation side of it. And if I was allowed the opportunity to just angle and not keep anything, I'd be okay with that too. If it was in favor of the, overall health of the lake or a specific species i'm not greedy no and i, I think it, it really does it, it takes a lot of time for people to adjust to change and you know make those adjustments and really understand the the reasoning behind things and everyone wants to remember how it was and you know just look forward because you have to understand otherwise it'll just be a stick in the mud and you, you know, you're not on the side of winning if you're just constantly worried about why things changed. And or you can also educate yourself, right? This is all literature that's available to you. And you can find out why these things have changed. And it's not because somebody doesn't want you to keep six walleyes. It's because they want there to be six walleyes for your kids in the future. So, you know, it's just simple reasoning. Absolutely. Now, I know we, uh, you know, the other half of your side, we talked a lot about the angling side, but the cooking side of, uh, of your persona is something that uh, is something that if anyone isn't following Josh on Instagram or social media, they need to because I'm inspired daily from your adventures and how you're pursuing your passion for cooking and, and also integrating that into outdoors as well. I think that's the big part for me is, you know, seeing how that's integrated 
how did that kind of get started and you know what what really drives your passion when it comes to the cooking side of things uh well one first off i appreciate that and uh i always like hearing like as a creator that somebody likes what i do it's kind of the thing that keeps you going um i would still do it for myself though but your your opinion definitely matters um it's uh it started out i can't remember if we covered this last time we had the conversation but cole's notes is it really stemmed from not enjoying the lunches that I was getting in school that my parents were packing for me. And I got a job and started buying food. I spent a ton of money on ingredients and food and just cooked stuff and screwed up everything in the kitchen for a long time. And I did a little bit of work at a local, like I grew up outside of Winnipeg in the country and there's a little local place that I did some kitchen work in and stuff, nothing major. And yeah, just picked up stuff kind of behind the scenes, even while dishwashing, right? Like watching the guys in the kitchen, picking up on stuff. And I'm definitely a hands-on learner. I, I, you know, obviously I'll watch a YouTube video and get inspired and make something, but I have to do it to, to fully understand it. And that's really what I did. I just learned, made a lot of mistakes and embraced those mistakes and um, just, yeah, curiosity, right? Like always curious about what does this taste like? What does this taste like with that? I saw this one thing. I wonder what was in it. Um, trying something at a restaurant and then trying to recreate that at home and putting your own spin on it because I obviously have my own um, bias as well in the kitchen and flavor profiles that I appreciate more than others. So I kind of just make, yeah, make up stuff as I go. And it's just a part of who I am. I'm always wanting to eat something and I try to focus on, as healthy of a diet as I can. And uh, that drives it as well. So close to nature is good. And throwing a few little maybe unhealthy things in there every once in a while is okay. Um, but yeah, my it, people I think would be shocked to know that my average diet at home is super simple. And the fancy stuff that you see on social media isn't what I'm eating every day. It's, uh, it's still kind of work sometimes when I'm making content. So I'll, most days I won't eat until one o'clock and I kind of do the, the fast, right? So I don't eat from 8 PM till noon or one o'clock the next day. And I eat meat and I like, I make a lot of sausages in the fall and store those in the freezer. So sausages are really easy to make. So I eat really simple sausages. I'm a hot sauce guy. So I'll throw hot sauce on there. And like red meat and a little bit of rice or something mixed in is nice. And I love grilled vegetables. So I'll do most often just like broccoli or something hearty and green and toss that in there. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And then anything that is, you know, a little more inspired and different, that's, that's what goes on Instagram. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, just my personality. I'm a, well, it says it in a recipe. So that's what I have to do. I have a hard time venturing off of the script. Right. And Most people do, I think. I think so, because I think it's a, a fear of it not turning out. Right. Right. That right. fear of failure, if you will, whatever. But it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, when you throw something out there, you, you come up with an idea, you come up with a recipe or a dish. Realistically, do you, do you figure most people just follow it as you, as you say, per your directions, exactly the same? Or, or how many people do you think out there take some liberties and, and kind of tweak it to be their own? Well, some people definitely read off the 
the map a little bit, which is great. Like that's what I like to see. It, it's um, I'm I'm a very collaborative person in that sense where I want someone to just feel inspired. That's really what I do. I don't want anyone to think that what I'm doing is cool or unique or, you know, send praises my way. It's not my style. I'm really looking to inspire somebody to learn. Right. And it's, it's all through experience. And so for you, if you spent endless amounts of time challenging yourself to create and go off the map a little bit, you learn a ton of skills through screwing up like immensely. Right. Okay. That, that amount of salt wasn't good or that little amount of salt wasn't good or these things don't go well together. Right. And so that's uh back, backtrack a little bit to answer, you know, if, if I see people who are following my recipes and stuff that I make um, creating their own things, sometimes they do reach out let me know that they made it and followed the recipe and it was awesome. Sometimes they let me know that, you know, they put their own twist on it and they liked it better, which is awesome. Sometimes they let me know that they put their own twist on it and they send me photos and it looks like a disaster, right? But it's just, and like no offense to anybody, right? right. It's just experience. And it's always just like, awesome. <laughs> you know, like it looks gnarly, but if it tasted good, sure. Like I'm, I'm into it. Uh, like I, I just want people to get more familiar with uh, doing it and using again, more wild ingredients, um, cooking on open fires, doing that sort of thing. I think that's fantastic. It just changes the flavor of everything. Um, and yeah, so anyways, inspiration is the key. And if somebody's following or not, I hope they are following enough that it's close that, you know, they, they don't think I gave them bad advice, um, and created something that's gross. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's just, yeah, inspiration. That's it. Yeah. I definitely find myself like if I'm trying a new recipe, um, you know, I'll look up online and see like four or five different versions of a recipe, right? Like, cause everybody's got their own little twist on it. And then I try to pick from that, like what my tastes and preference are from that, you know, those certain recipes and ends up usually being kind of a merged version of a lot of different things that, you know, typically turns out okay. Um, once I've made something once, I know exactly kind of maybe what I would tweak the next time or what I would add more of, less of. So I agree. It, it's definitely a trial and error. And it is. I think a lot of people need to maybe just venture outside their, their mind a little bit with recipes. And if an, a recipe calls for an ingredient in Maybe you don't have it or you don't prefer it. Add something else. Try something different. For sure. It's pretty easy to, to experiment. And a lot of my style is taking, it's turned into taking dishes that most people are now familiar with and just putting wild game in it because that's, that's the way to talk to the average folk, right? If I'm creating weird and wacky things all the time, which I like to do as I'm experimenting on my own, um, and if I'm putting that out there, I may not get a lot of love because you're really narrowing down on a limited amount of people who even think that that looks good. But if you can take something like a lot of people now have had experiences at a Middle Eastern restaurant or a, a East Indian restaurant. I did last year uh, butter chicken, air quotes, recipe with burbot. So it was butter burbot. Showed how to make fresh flatbreads out of like three ingredients. Super easy for anybody to make. And it's, it's fantastic. Right. And you start thinking, well, texture of burbot burbot is a little more 
chewy and stringy like a chicken, has a little little more texture to it than a walleye does. And you could really make it, use any fish species, any fish flesh to make butter chicken. Um, but it worked amazing with burbot. And I like alliteration too. So if you can put butter burbot or, you know, crappie curry or something like that together, that's, I, I love play on words like that. So, um, but yeah, the, the take, take like shepherd's pie with wild game in it done. Right. And that's, that is so basic to me, but it inspires a lot of people to make something that they're familiar with, but actually use the game meat that's in the freezer because often they don't know what to do with it. Exactly. It just sits there and then gets freezer burnt. And, but if you are inspired to, Hey, let's pull that out. Let's give this a try. Okay. Here's, yeah. here's my next question for you, Josh. Yes. Um, if you had a preference to, to cook, one group or work with one kind of like basic wild game, would it be fish? Would it be big game like deer or elk or would it be birds, you know, waterfowl, upland birds, that kind of thing? It would be like four legged animals for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, don't, don't tell my business partner, (laughs) but (laughs) it's, I, I also love using red meat, like with our coatings and frying that it's so good. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a red meat guy through and through and wild red meat, not to say that, you know, goose and duck isn't up there on my list. It definitely is. But if I were to pick one, it would be, you know, venison most likely. Like I just, I I love deer meat. Hey, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your catch and cook, because I think people are interested in that. It's a lot of uh, a lot of references in in your you know, things you throw out there on social as it as it should be. It's your brand, you and Jay. Yeah. How did this come to be, and and really, what's the essence of catch and cook coatings? Okay, so how it came to be first, um, it uh, it all started one day a number of years ago, probably five years ago now, on Lions Lake, which is in Manitoba but right on the border of Ontario. So really halfway between where I live and where Jay lives now, just outside of Kenora. And we, uh, we were sitting there and just thinking of a way to do something maybe together, but again, spitballing, like not even really dreaming, but kind of. And we thought, Hey, a coding could be fun because Jay's got this audience, which w- wasn't anything then what it is now. Um, but still lofty. Right. Right. And it'd be really cool to have something that was his to sell to them. Um, and I was making this coating just on the fly when I would go on fishing or hunting trips for, for a long time, Jay hadn't had it, but I brought it up and said, well, I have this one thing and the coating industry is just stagnant. There's nobody doing anything cool. And it's just they're on the shelves at the grocery stores and at the bait and tackle shop and at the gas bars. Um, But no one was doing anything fun with it. So we started looking at the coffee industry and how the coffee industry had exploded over the past 10, 15 years. And on the shelves at the grocery stores, there were endless options of really cool looking bags. And we thought, Hey, let's do that. Let's take a coffee brand that we like replicate that somewhat a little bit and just put a cool flour mix in there and sell it to fishing folks. Um, and that's what we did. And we had a bunch of criteria as the dream started to grow that, you know, we wanted to outsource um, and partner up with a really good 
you know, FDA and Canadian food grade, whatever certified facility that can do a lot of that for us. Because what we really love is people and taking photos and videos. Um, and we love making products and inspiring people. But at the end of the day, you know, scooping flour and putting it into bags wasn't something that we wanted to make into a job. And we also didn't want it to be a little mom and pop farmer's market brand. We wanted to take it across Canada as soon as we could. And that's kind of what we did. And then we wanted to bring it into the States and that's what we did. Um, and we work with a lot of amazing people. We have uh, a sales team in Canada and one in the States and they're fantastic people. Um, the facilities we work with for manufacturing are unreal. We have warehouses, one in Minneapolis and one uh, just outside of Toronto and just fantastic folks. And they're, they're there to work with us and they're there to really help us get our dream out to our customers. Right. And, um, fortunately it's been very well received and our new lemon pepper flavor has been selling like hotcakes and we're currently out of it and, uh, doing a, doing a big run right now so we can restock everybody. But it's, uh, it's been a real blessing, you know, like we didn't really think, I guess we had an idea that it could turn into something. Um, but you never know, right? Anything in business is just, you throw some money at it and put a lot of work into it and uh, hopefully partner with somebody who you really get along with and, you know, loves you as much as you love them. And it's, uh, it's been just such a wicked journey. Like we, we have fun doing it and sure there's the behind the scenes business stuff some days that isn't fun, but for the most part, it's just, uh, yeah, a really, really cool and unique way to make a living that is exactly who the two of us are. You know, it's it's fishing, it's hunting, it's cooking, period. And that's one of the things with your coatings is, and you alluded to it, um, you know, a little while back here, Josh, is that you don't just use it for fish. You use it for a lot of different food options. Yeah. You've got several flavors, and then you have a whole line of um, spice. Would you consider spices or seasonings? Yeah, spice blends. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so our spice blends are awesome. We have more coming down uh, the pike here this year. We're doing a pepper blend that I've just been working on that has just a bunch of different coarse ground peppers in it, so you get a real nice pepper pop when you throw something on the grill. Um, and we've got a gluten-free coating that's coming out right away. So it's, it's just, yeah, constantly growing and um, making changes here and there and adding stuff. And we have a little secret project that we're working on as well for Catch and Cook that I can't say anything about yet, but it will be uh, really unique and cool and fun to interact with, and it might burn your face off. Um, so that's all, that's all I will say about that. Leave us hanging. Leave with us a little hanging. foreshadowing, right? little foreshadowing but no I, I know you mentioned the the different options of you know what you have and how you like to use them and I, I continue to see you know different people online social media sharing their you know unique twists and I know you've got a, a good ambassador for your brand there Carlo we've had him on the show a few yeah. times you know he loves to rep the catch and cook and I know he was even talking today about making chicken uh, chicken fingers or chicken tenders with the school there yeah he was, he was yeah yeah so it's fun to see everybody using it and then putting their own unique twist on it. It's, it's so cool. And we talk about it almost weekly when we do calls and it's, it's still shocking to us that 
A, people love it, and B, they're just so willing to share what they're doing with it on social media. And that was intentional, I guess, in the beginning. We wanted something that people would, like, one of the conversations we had in the beginning was how crazy would it be if we had a bag of mixed flour with seasonings in it that was good, but people felt like they could take pictures of it while they were out camping or while they were out hunting or while, or taking pictures, you know, with the bag, like as if it was a Red Bull can and, you know, laughed about it. And we started doing it and it happens constantly. It's just an endless stream of tagging and DMS through social media that are people holding our bag, smiling out in the wilderness somewhere, which is ridiculous. If you think about it, like what's the importance of a plastic bag? But they feel like they're a part of, you know, this ethos and it's, uh, and they are, they, they are the only reason it exists, right? So it's pretty cool and it's, it's humbling at the same time. Like how do these people know about the brand? Where did they learn about it? Why do they love it as much as they do? And I think it, you know, it's a good product and we've, we've put a lot of energy into it and we try to be, you know, fun, happy, loving people too. And I think that translates into the brand a little bit. Um, it's just, yeah, overall good energy. And I think that's just been reflected back, but we're sort of taken aback by it at times. Yeah. I mean, it's a common thread, right? I mean, we all, and your followers for the most part are outdoor loving people, right? Yeah. So wild game is a connection that, that people have and we, we have to eat, man. We all got to eat, right? So you get, you bring it's all true. those threads, those common threads together. And yeah, it is fun watching how people react to it. So I gotta, I, here's another one. We're, maybe move a little bit in a different direction. Cause I, oh, yeah. I need to, I need to know about this. Um, freshwater drum. Yes, Talk to sir. me about freshwater drum and I've never had it, but I've been so, so wanting to try it after watching okay. some of the things you've, you've shared about it. So I have just entered the conversation for the first time that, that question uh, has, has awoken the dragon. Um, it's, uh, I, there's so many things and you can see the joy on my face right now. The listeners, there's a big smile on my face. Uh, the, there's just something special about the freshwater drum. It's the underdog and, um, it's been demonized is maybe the wrong word, but I can't think of a better one, but in, in angling culture for a long time. And it's, it's the day of the drum. Now it's coming, you know, like, it is such an amazing fish to target. They're so powerful. They're beautiful. They're old fish. Like they live way longer than all these other species and they grow super slow. They're really bright, smart species. They're an intelligent species. So not only are they, you know, this beautiful, cool fish, and the more I go down the rabbit hole, the worse I feel about eating them because I just feel like they're this beautiful critter and uh, that has this like in intelligent brain going on in there. Uh, but they, uh, they, pe people need to stop thinking that they are a smelly, greasy, oily, whatever million different things that I've heard people say about them. Uh, and they need to try it. It's, it's a fantastic meat. It, it holds up on a grill. So as somebody who cooks the first time I, I mean, I've eaten drum since I was a kid, but it was always prepared by somebody else. It was my dad or something. And my dad wasn't really a cook, right? So it'd just be done much like he would do 
walleye or pike or something. And when I started doing it on my own, I would take those loins off the top and you've got this really unique intermuscular fat and you can see those grains like you do somewhat on salmon, right? Like fatty salmon, you can see those, that intermuscular fat in between the grains of, of flesh. And uh, that really intrigued me. And I thought, man, when people say fish is oily and they say that in a negative way, I wonder what that is. Cause I didn't really get it. Um, and I took this thing, I did a blackened drum. So I dipped it in liquid butter, melted butter coated it really thick with, I actually, I used some sort of version of uh, similar to our all-terrain catching cook, like a Chipotle sort of blend coated it in that and just did a really hot sear on a dry cast iron pan until it got charred and cooked the meat all the way through, ate it on top of some rice. And I was blown away that this has an amazing texture and it didn't fall apart in the pan. Like, walleye does like it didn't break apart and flake apart and then i started cooking it on the grill and you know fish on the grill just falls through through the grates right and it didn't with a really hot sear on the grill it just sat there and it cooked it got an amazing sear on it um absorbed some of those you know nice char grill flavors and i ate that and i could easily flip it i could easily you know use the flipper to scrape it off the grill and put it on a plate nothing broke apart it held together and that's when i just had that you know enamored moment where i'm like this is it this is this is the fish we should be eating all the time it has an amazing texture why isn't anyone eating it and why does everybody have a story about how it's gross but they haven't even tried it they just they're you know, regurgitating information that they got from their uncle or from their cousin or their dad or somebody else who probably never tried it themselves either. You're exactly right. It's a no respect fish. It was never looked down upon like it was a bad fish. From in my family growing up, we would catch it in the in the Minnesota River. We just throw them back. Never right. once was there any conversation about that. Well, that is a fish we could keep and eat. Right. Yeah, and it's it's bonkers to me. Um, but. I get it. Like species have their day in the sun and, and people favor the North American palate favors mild flavors, especially when it comes to you know, game meat, right. And, right. and fish. And, you know, back to the, um, that intermuscular fat that's there too. It's just juicy. It doesn't have this fishy, you know, what you'd consider fishy or weird, flavor or greasy texture to it it's just a juicy piece of fish which is what i want especially when i'm eating something that has a chickeny type texture to it i want it to be juicy i don't want it to be dry and gross so uh yeah anyhow people people got to just start keeping them and don't keep too many and don't keep the big cool ones because they uh they're special fish too but on the other side on the angling side um i've spent years now going out in my waders or in my swimming trunks on Lake Winnipeg in the summer, I'll, I'll go as soon as there's open water uh, it, up until fall. And I wait and wait and I fish and up until, uh, you know, all through May and leading into June. And I wait for that water to get hot to the touch. It needs to be warm when you put your hand in there. And as soon as it's warm, the drums show up 
And I've got a few sweet spots where I go and it's a little rocky in areas. And now that we have the zebra mussels, <clears throat> excuse me, and they, they love chowing down on those. So I try to focus on areas that have a little bit of rock because I know the drumming that are in there chewing on them. And you can use a top water bait. You can use a spoon. You can use a crank bait. You can use a giant swim bait and catch the most, like, as if you were bass fishing. Bass fishing is like the top of the elite angling experience for most anglers, you know, and it's, uh, it's looked upon as such. This is better. The fish are way more powerful. They interact with the baits in a very similar way. They, they chase, they go nuts. You could use a, a Ned rig and like bounce in between the rocks, in between the muscles. They'll pick it up and run with it. And it's like a lightning strike every time they grab the bait. And I can't understand why people wouldn't, you know, dive in head first into that experience. And up here, most people, if they're shore fishing, a lot of shore fishing happens along the Red River. And if anyone even attempts on the big lake, which isn't super often really in the summer months, it's quite devoid of anglers. Um, they're using pickerel rigs, right? So they're tossing out a weight with two hooks on it and letting a minnow sit on bottom and they'll catch a drum uh, that didn't even tip their rod once because they scoot in really slow, sniff the minnow, grab it, sit there and swallow the hook and they don't move. You'll, you'll rarely see them tap on your line, right? So by the time you go check your rod, it's like, oh, there's a fish on here. And you pull it in, and it could be a drum of any size, and the hook's down its throat. So now it's a pain in the butt for somebody who, who is in a, you know, a bit of a spiritual dilemma over, do I keep this greasy thing, or do I, you know, kind of cut the hook and throw it back? Well, you should keep it if that happens. Um but it's, uh, and stop fishing drum that way. You know, if you're, I, I think the unattended uh, lines when shore fishing is a little bit of a, an issue for me. Um, I think you should be there to answer a hook set every single time um, just to make sure that you're getting an ethical, you know, in the lip kind of hook set. Uh, but if you catch a drum, keep it, eat it. And if you want the real deal experience, fish some drummy looking waters and throw a jerk bait on and go nuts because it, it it'll be the best fishing experience you've had. And I also happen to catch giant monster um, catfish doing the same thing and nobody is into it. And uh, I never see anyone else doing it. And I have a small little group of friends and we go out and just have a blast and have, you guys know how big Lake Winnipeg is. You've got the whole lake from coast to coast to yourself. And uh, it's it's unbelievable catching as many fish as you want. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, an opportunity to strap a live scope on my kayak this year and just seeing what those fish are doing, especially on those days where you can't make a cast without catching a fish strong enough to pull your arm off and you see them surfacing all evening long. That'll be really, really fun to watch on a uh, forward-facing unit. Yeah, just looking out in front of you and just seeing these giant trash can lids swimming around. and Trash can lids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really what they are. Yeah. No, but listening to you, listening to you talk about, you know, the, you know, the way that, you know, they're prepared and everybody's got this negative image in their mind of how they taste or texture or whatever, you know, brings me to like a, a, a comparison of like a pork chop. I know a lot of people that 
hate pork chops because they're dry, they're tough, they're never good. And, and I, my wife was kind of the same way, and I started grilling them and cooking them to a lower temperature because it's, you know, safe now to eat a yep. pork yep. at a lower temperature. And all of a sudden, these fish or these pork chops are juicy and, and delicious, and she's like, this is really good. And I think all of those, whether it's the drum or a different type of species, the key is knowing how to prepare it. And I think that's kind of what you alluded to a little bit is everything's got its own little unique way of how to prepare it. You can't prepare everything the same way year over year, you know, feeding your kids or listening to your parents on how they did it. And I think that's where people maybe need to, again, step outside of their comfort zone and, and experiment a little bit. Yeah. A lot of cooking food is methods. And when it comes to wild food, it's very much so that because you know, if it's a wild plant, well, it could wither before you even get it in the house. You have to take care. And when it comes to wild game, I do a lot of stuff around bears and deer. And I get asked by people constantly, you know, I, I've got this thing back from the butcher. It says roast on it. What do I do with it? And I don't even know what roast means. Like, where did it come from? What cut is that? A roast to me is something from, you know, the front shoulder or the neck or a shank that you slow cook. Um, often though, a butcher roast will be something off the hind quarter, which it, it'll just dry out the second you slow cook it, right? Like it's not meant for that. You're supposed to eat that meat rare or medium rare. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just educational thing, right? Like you need to know, I think every hunter should be at least once or twice in their life, break down an animal, know the cuts And if you, you know, if it's a time consuming process, just bring it to a butcher from there, but learn to know what is in the package that you're opening because it greatly affects the, the whole experience. And I don't want anybody who's a hunter and believes in hunting to invite somebody over for dinner for this awesome deer meat that they love, make it the way their dad used to make it. And for someone to go away, a guest with a bad experience, like, I don't think deer's for me because it tasted gamey and it's dry. Well, it's not gamey and it's not dry if you cook it properly. And if you want something also not gamey and the most succulent, moist meat you've ever had, cook a shank, slow cook a shank for overnight in some liquid in the oven, and it'll be better than anything you've ever had in your life. And there's no weird gaminess to it. It just tastes like everything else you put in there. Soak it in beer and whiskey and some aromatics overnight and leave it in the oven. And when you wake up, that'll be the best piece of meat you've ever had. And it's a piece of meat that typically makes its way into the grinder. Yeah, absolutely. I did a uh, venison shank for our deer camp we, uh, before season. And even, even my mom was like, you wouldn't even tell somebody that this wasn't beef, you know, that was braised in a, you know, in a, I think I had, you know, beef broth and beer and all the aromatics and everything. So and good. it was delicious. We used some of the leftovers and made some stroganoff, which was, Oh my God delicious and so yeah that's one thing that i've gotten into over the years is making stocks and like bone broths and all that with venison bones and bear bones it's just so good for you and it's bones go in the garbage or they get left in the woods and that is the you know it's not that they're diverse but there's so much nutrients and good fats and flavors in there and if you roast your deer bones you can even do it with fish bones i'm actually work working on something to do a little bit of that uh bit of content soon here um but even taking your fish and roasting it with stuff you love already right like we love onion we love garlic carrot celery all those things roast it throw it in a pot fill it up with cold water boil the hell out of it for you know 
24 hours if you have to. And all of that stuff just breaks down. The marrow comes out of the bone. Any bit of collagen on the knuckle just goes straight into that broth and helps thicken it. If you reduce it, it'll turn into jello. And it's uh, not only is it the best thing for you, it's, it's just delicious, right? And you can make anything with that. And you can even make a stock and then, you know, braise a shank in it later down the road. Um, and that adds just so much great energy and flavor into that stuff. So anyway, yeah, if I were to encourage listeners to do anything different, like save, save all the weird funky parts. It's fun. It's interesting. Well, and I think, yeah, I was just going to say with the, you know, the prices of everything going up, you have to get the bang for your buck with whatever you're using, the meats, the bones, the, you know, everything. I think it just helps. And I know myself, I find myself becoming more resourceful with things and how can I use this in a different way? Yeah. Get creative with it. And one of the things that was really interesting that I tried last year for the first time, I made a little TikTok video and just got, you know, crucified for it. But it was, I was at my cousin's cabin on Lake of the Woods, just outside of Kenora. And we caught this walleye and I just said, Hey, you've got this really sweet, big, uh, deep fryer in your outdoor kitchen. I saw a video online and it's pretty popular with certain species. I, I think some species it works better than others, but a really fancy restaurant was taking fish with the scale still on pouring hot oil over it. And they'd puff up like rice krispies. So with a walleye scale, I'm like, this looks pretty similar to what I had seen. We should give it a try. So we took the whole fish, gutted it, washed it off, head on and everything. We threw it in the fryer basket and submerged it just to see what would happen. And I kid you not, that whole thing turned into one giant rice crispy. So we've got this puffed up scale looking crazy fish. And we're just laughing because this is the best cottage plate presentation you've ever seen in your life we had steaks going on the grill and a bunch of different things i had brought some like wild mushrooms that i foraged so we made up this plate i think we had some french fries in there too with this whole fish sitting on the middle of the table my cousin's buddies all looking at it like what are you guys doing and we ate that thing like as if it was chicken wings and pulled off chunks put a little louisiana hot sauce on it and chow down and that was the best experience ever you know we uh we each dared each other to eat an eyeball and it was actually great. Um, but you can pull the cheeks off the cheeks with that little bit of scale on it and the skin, it was all crispy on the outside. It, insane. Like I would, I would order that at a restaurant over chicken wings if it was on the menu and enjoy it just as much. Right. So did you actually, I mean, you, you're talking about eating this, you ate the scales and all you can eat the scales, the scales literally puff up like a rice crispy and like I was thinking, like imagine you could buy a box of cereal that was just puffed fish scales, <laughs> actually utilize all the scales that come off at the commercial cleaning places. Um, but yeah, like it, that's that's an edible. They're not edible in their in the state that they're in on the fish, right? Right. But somehow that hot oil pu- bursts those things, and the cell structure just explodes, and they turn into a puff crispy thing that is delicious and crunchy and it's not hard on the teeth it's just literally like eating puffed rice yeah i was gonna say it's no different than pork skin turning into a pork rind I same mean, idea yeah, yeah same yeah. it's like a chicharron but with uh with fish skin and it's phenomenal yeah and i mean you throw in some walleye cheeks and you got my attention for sure yeah 
those are the prized possession when it comes to fish cleaning for me. And I mean, I've, I've been known to watch guys throw, you know, a bigger fish into the bucket and not take the cheeks out of it. And I'll walk over there and, and slip them out. And I, I know you had a walleye cheek tacos, I think on your Instagram a while ago. And those looked ridiculous. And- it's a luxurious meal. You know, they're, they're not cheap. And I actually picked up on my trip from the commercial guy in, uh, Gull Harbor there, but uh, I picked up some bags of, of pickle cheeks and, uh, man, like it's, it's a scallop, you know, and you can treat it just as such. And it has a very s- similar texture to a scallop. And yeah, it's a, it's a very special, special piece of meat. It drives me crazy too. When I see them going back in the water or on a rock or on the ice and, and somebody doesn't take the time to scoop it out. Cause it takes a second, right? Yeah, absolutely. I kept an entire quart bag one season, and then we did uh, like Alfredo, like shrimp Alfredo, but walleye cheek Alfredo. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it's like having a like a the the taco that I had on the weekend that was like solid walleye cheeks. I I couldn't imagine how you know how much that would have cost on a menu to serve that to somebody because it, it's ridiculous, right? They they sort of the chef was in and went off menu a little bit and made some treats for us, so it was pretty pretty spectacular experience but um yeah i don't want to know how how many walleye cheeks were in that thing it was ludicrous but absolutely insane you feel like a king when you're eating something like that yeah those are always the 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 tender of the grill or the deep fryer those are always going into my mouth when i'm cooking oh for sure yeah if you if you're the one manning the fryer you have to steal all the cheeks for sure well josh i know this conversation could continue Kyle, any uh, anything more that you had on your list to, to to pick off of Josh's brain? I've got a long list, but I do have one more thing, Josh. Uh, bringing it back to ice fishing, Shack Talk. Yep. Give us give us one of your favorite meals, wild game meals that you're going to prepare out on the ice with your buddies or your family, whatever it might be. And if it happens to involve hauling a wood stove out on a trailer out onto the lake. You can include that story because I saw that the other day out on out on your social as well. <laughs> that was a good one. So t- to reference that, I have this big pizza oven that's not necessarily portable, but I made it portable and wheeled it onto my trailer, pulled it out on the ice, had a wood-fired pizza oven going all day long on the back of my trailer, and we had a good group of fellas out. Um I can't remember all that I made now, but I, I definitely did some sausages in there and then slow cooked some giant pork ribs. I got a pig and uh, left the ribs. I butchered the whole thing and left the ribs whole, like giant. And uh, these big dinosaur ribs, and I did them in there and uh, let the fire get down a little bit and slow cook them, and they were just phenomenal. So to have, have an experience like that, you know, put a little extra effort into the prep and getting ready for a trip and doing something like that. It's pretty special. So, you know, the, the really epic things you can make on the ice often come from things like that. Just putting a little more effort into it. It might be a special ingredient. It might be a special procedure, um, starting a fire out on the ice or whatever that is. Right. So I think taking a little extra care and doing that type of thing is kind of at the, yeah, the top of my list. Um, when it comes to, future stuff um i'm doing a project with eskimo that is food related and we'll reference that a little bit and uh there are some some of my favorite things to make on the ice um that are really practical and delicious and uh that'll be 
you know, something that we're, we're working on now and, and will be released in the future. Um, but that, that is, uh, yeah, all, all of those things that I love to make in the shack when out with the crew, uh, those items may or may not be reflected in that. And, uh, yeah, you, you may, you may get a little peek at some of the things that are at the top of, uh, the top of the Josh McFaz list. Well, and you mentioned one thing, it's the prep, right? Like chopping your vegetables before you go out, having the things in their containers, measured out spices and ingredients. I mean, all of those little things can make preparing a meal out on the ice that much more efficient and enjoyable, right? Because you don't want to be cooking for hours out on the ice while everybody's catching fish. Right, yeah. You have to put everything in little containers and make sure that it's prepared and you just put a little bit of work into it or prep a whole meal at home and something that you can just heat up over a heater. Those are some of the greatest meals as well. And last year, one of the best things I ate came off of a little muffler pot that I have on my snowmobile. We went for a rip with the guys in the backcountry and spent the whole day on sleds and opened up that little pot at the end of it and had these like pulled bear sandwiches. And it was all heated under the hood of the sled. Like awesome, right? It's all about being creative, right? It is. Yeah, definitely. And you can buy, you know, utensils and things that accommodate really any kind of weird cooking idea you have. They, they exist. It's just a matter of, you know, acquiring those things and putting them to use. Yeah. And I know Kyle and I, we've probably mentioned this before. There's nothing that beats a hot meal out on the ice when you're fishing. I mean, it just does something to re- you know, re-energize you for the day and yeah. makes you yeah. just feel that much better. Even if the fishing's poor, right. no- nothing will put a smile on somebody's face than better than a hot meal. Yeah, I think you have to. There's those days where you go out fishing and you just want to go fish and maybe you don't have the time to do all this stuff or you know you'll be back home in a few hours sort of thing so you don't pack too much. But I'm not a cold bologna sandwich kind of guy and I'd rather, if I'm going to eat something, um, I'd rather it be hot and prepared you know on the ice and that's that's the whole part of the fishing culture that we love right that's why we we go ice fishing that's that's a major part of the overall experience that gets people into the sport too is oh okay this is more than just sitting around looking at a blinking screen all day it's about the culture it's about the conversation it's about the people and it's about the food and the food is a major part of fish culture yeah, if you want to welcome someone to your, you know, shanty, you know, nothing speaks volumes more than a, a grill rolling or something on the, the cooker. Like you said, even if it's just something you threw on your, your Mr. Buddy heater and it's warming it up, uh, you know, nothing uh, nothing goes longer away than that. Yep, and people, they appreciate the, uh, you know, inventive nature behind some of the sketchy things we do with ice scoops and tinfoil and Buddy heaters. And uh, you get to prepare some meals in very unique ways in the in the shack josh for anybody that isn't already following you on social what's the best way for them to follow your adventures um yeah i mean uh catch cook coatings is our catch and cook uh brand instagram it's a fun one to follow it's got a facebook page as well and anything we offer is available online and personally just at josh mcfads mcfads and uh, anything else really linked to me is is there. And Huntfish MB as well is a page that, an account that, you know, everyone should be following, checking up on those blogs if you're, you know, into anything outdoors and just below the Canadian border. Definitely dig into that because you'll see a lot of 
cool stuff that we offer up here and why I'm passionate about literally everything that I know. Awesome. I love to hear it. And again, more to come from Josh in the future with Eskimo. We've got a lot of things and I know Josh's creative mind is always moving and there's always something in the works and we're excited to see what's coming uh, with Catching Cook in the future as well because I know that you guys are always cooking something up up there with uh, what's next to come. So really looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, thanks, Anthony. And thanks, Kyle. Like, yeah, it's always a blast talking to you guys. And it's, uh, you know, great conversation. I hope we've inspired a couple folks to do things a little different in the shack. Absolutely. Everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of Shack Talk. Again, until we talk to you next time, get out on the ice, cook some food, have some fun and some fellowship out on the ice. And uh, we'll catch you next time.